0: So today's sermon is gonna come from Mark 4, verses 35 to 41. So why don't we read all together on the count of three? One, two, three. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You guys, maybe see it.
1: My hearts rejoice because if you look around, okay, you're starting to see people who haven't seen for a couple of weeks are here. I'm very happy. In fact, I make sure I double check um, with the online streaming, and today's online streaming is less than ten. And I'm actually happy about it, right? So if if the numbers of online streaming are high, I'm actually not happy, guys. So when the number of online streaming are small, that's when I'm happy. That's when I'm smiling. Because I know that means this, even with the weather out there, right? Rain, storm, you guys are here. That tells me that you guys already understand what I'm going to preach about, king of the storm. So can we just say amen and go home now? right. No, 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 don't, don't say amen to that. <laughs> okay, I have a sermon to preach. But um, thank you for being here. I'm really excited and grateful for you guys. And I do want to encourage you guys who are tuning in online as well to really to start to think about, you know, if it's not something urgent and if it's not something to do with physical health, I do want to encourage you to make effort to come to church because it is very important for your spiritual health. Now, let me start with a question, okay? And this question might throw some people off. Here's the question. What happened when our obedience to Jesus leads us to a storm? Now, for some Christians, you know, they might not have vocabulary for this. Because many Christians today, they're brought up with the understanding that is, if you follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, then God will bless you with health and wealth. So, therefore, it is not God's will for you to experience any kind of pain and suffering. Obedience to Jesus will not lead to a storm. Okay? And the word for it is actually called prosperity theology. However, today, many people, many Christians start to realize, oh, no, 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 there's something wrong with this theology. So many people today already rejected prosperity theology because it's unrealistic and inconsistent with the teaching of the Bible. But what's very common today among many Christians is not prosperity theology, but rather soft prosperity theology. Okay? To make it easier, I have a word for it. Disney theology. Okay, the moment I put the word Disney, straight so away you understand what I'm talking about, right? Disney theology says this: All right, you know, there might be challenges in life, there might be storm in life, there might be difficulties, but hold on, because if you manage to slay the dragon, you will eventually get up with, end up with the princess. You with me on that? So basically, they say oh, yes, there'll be storm, but don't worry about it because once you pass the storm, happy ending is waiting for you. You will be blessed with double blessing. And what they mean by double blessing most of the time is material blessing. But is that true? Is that the purpose of the storm? Okay. After the time when I write this sermon, my Bible reading, and if you follow the church Bible reading, yours as well, we were reading on the book of Job. Okay, And I was at the time actually reading Job 1 and 2. Like like what a providence. And if you're not familiar with the story of Job, let me give you overview of what happened. At the beginning of chapter 1, we are introduced with a man by the name of Job. And this dude, he had a perfect resume. I mean, this guy is as good Christian as you can be. I mean, he loved his family. He was blameless, upright. He feared God. And he was very rich. I mean, it sounds like a perfect Christian, right, to you and me? But then, just in one chapter, at the end of chapter 1, you know what happened? He lost everything. He lost his wealth due to natural disaster, and he lost all his children on the same day. And then, at the end of chapter 2, just one chapter later, he lost his health. And not only that, his wife was fed up and told him, curse God, who is God? So in a matter of two chapters, this man who had perfect resume as Christian, his life turned upside down, just like that. What happened? Now, I think this is where the Bible actually challenges our simplistic worldview. Because when suffering hits, there are two basic ways people respond to it. If you're a Christian, if you're religious, you'll say, well, the reason I suffer is because I do something wrong. Okay? There must be something wrong that I did, and God is punishing me for it. So the solution is I need to fix myself. Okay? Because God will only punish people who do bad, and God will reward those who do good. So if you face storm... There's something wrong with you. You've got to fix it. So they see storm as punishment for disobedience. Okay? But if you know the story of Job, the story of Job tells us that Job, he experienced storm, not because he was bad, but rather because he was very good. Now, do you see what happened? There's inconsistency there. And the more secure worldview, see it like this. You know what? Because there's storm everywhere, because there's a lot of suffering, that means there's no such thing as God. Storm is just a random occurrence that proves that there is no God. Because if there is God, He will be more competent than allowing storm to happen in our life. Since there's storm, there cannot be God. I mean, have you heard that kind of view before? But the Bible is different. The Bible disagrees with both worldviews. This is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible tells us that the God of the Bible is the sovereign God over every single molecule in the universe. He's in control over every single storm that comes our way, and He is good. I mean, can I have amen for that? I mean, that's a good statement, guys. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, good. Talk to me. Talk back to me. Remember, I like it when you guys talk back. I don't like it when you guys are quiet, okay? Just smile, you know, and nod or something, okay? But it's the thing though, the question is this, if we, if we agree with this, is this the premise that the Bible, the God of the Bible is good and sovereign, then the question will be, then why did he allow us to go through storm? You with me on that? Now, I'm glad you asked, because today's passage will deal with that particular question. The stealing of the storm is actually the first nature miracle in the book of Mark. And it, it illustrates Mark's purpose to reveal Jesus' identity to his disciple and to the reader. Because here's what Marx wants us to know. He wants us to know who Jesus is. Not who we think Jesus is, but who Jesus actually is. And the primary purpose of this story is not telling us, listen guys, if you believe in Jesus, you will get through whatever storm in life. Not that. But rather, what Marx wants to us is this. In the midst of the storm, there is king who is sovereign over every single storm. And when you know this storm, when you know this king, then you'll be okay. Because ultimately, storms in our life are designed by God for us to know the king of the storm. Can okay, you hear me? Okay, I only have three parts of my sermon. My sermon today is simple. The storm, the response, and the king. Let's look at the first one, the storm. First 35 to verse 37. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Now, if you remember what happened at the end of um, the last sermon, remember when Edric and I preached, at the beginning of chapter 4, remember? Jesus was teaching from a boat, and everybody was listening from the shore. Remember that part? The the part that I say, let's switch it. Why don't I sit and you guys stand? Okay? Bad idea. We shall not do that. Otherwise, everybody will leave. But then what happened is, after all day of teaching and preaching, we're told that Jesus is tired. Now, let me tell you something about preaching. Preaching might look easy to you, okay? It's just talking, right? But let me tell you, preaching is exhausting. I just came back from Indonesia, and on one of the Sundays, I actually got to preach three times in one Sunday. 8.30 in the morning, 10.30 and 4 p.m. And by the end of the day, let me tell you, I was brain dead, literally. And do you guys know what happened when I got brain dead? I got people's names mixed up. I once said at the dinner after church, hey, Rachel, can you pass me the water? And Ripka looked at me with the expression, why are you calling me Rachel? True story. And last week, I called Ripka Cowrie. I don't know why it's always her, but it always happened to her, okay? Um, It's amazing that she's still in our church, okay? (laughs) But preaching is a lot of hard work. And after preaching all day, Jesus is exhausted, and he said to his disciple, pay attention, let us go across to the other side. So whose idea is it to go to the other side? Is it the disciple who come up with it or Jesus? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who initiated the journey to move away from the crowd to get to the other place to preach the gospel, and the disciples simply what? all right, Jesus, if that's what you want, let's do it. But look at verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took, with, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. Now, does anything strike you about this verse? Let me tell you the answer is nothing. There's no hidden meaning in this verse. There's no secret spiritual meaning. What's, what's the boat mean here? What does it mean? There's nothing. It does not move the story forward at all. But let me tell you why this verse is important. Because this verse, first 36, tells us that this is eyewitness account. Because Mark is telling us like the details in this story is there because it is what happened. There's no other reason for it. So that means when we look at this story, you got to take it at the face value. It's not a legend. Because throughout centuries, there have been many people who say this, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a good teacher. He's a good moral example, but he was not God. So you know what they do? They rip out pages like this one that we read today. They rip it off from the Bible because they said, it is impossible for it to happen. So they say, Jesus actually never claimed to be God. It was the disciple who made him to be God, to, make, to keep the movement going. But then, when you read the book of Mark, it's different. It doesn't read like a religion. Why? Because it's not one. It is an eyewitness account. It has a lot of unimportant detail that has no special meaning. Because Mark is telling us, this is what happened. Okay? And that means for us, today as a reader, you and I cannot choose and pick the kind of Jesus we want. You either take him at face value, agree with how he revealed himself to be, or we reject him altogether. So this is what happened. Jesus and the disciple make their way to the other side of the sea, right? And something unexpected happened. An ordinary evening trip across the sea suddenly turns to an evening that the disciple will never, ever forget. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. Okay, what happened? Here? Here's what happened. A storm happened. And there's nothing strange about storm in the Sea of Galilee. Because the Sea of Galilee is actually known for its stormy weather. But what's different about this storm is it's not on your average storm. Mark tells us this is a great wind storm. In fact, the storm is so great to the point that the disciples begin to fear for their life. Now think about it. There are at least four fishermen among the disciples. And fishermen are those who are very, very familiar with storm in the sea. Okay, let me put it this way anyone ever experienced turbulence on a plane? Anyone, anyone? Bad turbulence, really very bad turbulence, okay? What happened, right? At first we got worried, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is what's gonna happen, okay? Then we heard the pilot spoke through the PA system. What did pilot say? Ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing very bad turbulence right now. So put on your seatbelt and remain in your seat. It's going to be a tough ride for the next few minutes. We are going to get you through it, right? At that moment, it doesn't matter how bad the turbulence was, at the time you were, Phew. all right. We're okay, why? Because we know the pilot got it under control. But imagine if the pilot got on the PA system and said, Oh my gosh! We are going to die, guys! We're not going to make it! What's happened? You're going to cry together with him. Oh, no. Right? And this is what happened. I mean, you expect the four fishermen to, have to be familiar with the storm, but they care for their life. They try everything they can to deal with the storm, but the storm is only getting worse and worse to the point that the waves are breaking into the boat, and the boat is filled with water. And the great wisdom threatened to sink the boat and kill everyone on the boat. What can we learn from this passage? Simply this. We learned that storm can come anytime, anywhere, without invitation. I mean, I wish, right? I wish storm would call us in advance, telling us, guys, I'm coming. At least we can be ready. But that's not the way it works, right? Storm just comes just like that. All it takes is a single phone call to change a gentle breeze into a tempest. One moment, everything in your life is perfect. Perfect. The next second, everything out of control. If 2020 and 2021 can teach us anything, it teaches us this. Storm does not need invitation. COVID does not need invitation. It just comes just like that. And it caught people of God. And here's something that we must understand about Christian life. God never promised you and you and me a smooth journey in life. Never. But here's something that we must understand. There's important detail in the story that we must not miss. The storm is not an accident. Jesus knows it. In fact, Jesus is not caught of God. Jesus is the one who brings the disciples. Let's go to the other side. And Jesus knows exactly that storm is coming. In fact, their obedience to Jesus will lead them to a great storm. Which tell us something. Following Jesus never till never means storm-free life. Never. And I know this is might surprise some of us, but get this. Sometime the will of God will lead us directly into a storm. Every storm in our life is not an accident, but divinely ordained by God. But here's a question that I want us to deal with. Then, all right, then, okay, I'm with you, yours, but. Why storm? I mean, you can understand, right, storm for Jonah. You know, I mean? you know the story of Jonah? So what happened with Jonah? I think we, I think we know that. If we grow up in Sunday school, we understand this. The story of Jonah tells us: One day, okay, is that a flash of someone t- taking picture of me or what? <laughs> I'm like, am I that popular now? <laughs> Apparently not. Okay. So one day God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to the city of Nineveh. But then Jonah like, oh, I'm not sure about that God, so I'm going to go to Starshish and I'm going to preach the gospel anyway, but different city. And you know what happened next? And because of it, God sent a huge storm to chase after Jonah that threatened to destroy the boat. I mean, we get that, right? So God sent a storm to discipline the disobedient Jonah. But a storm for obeying Jesus, that does not make any sense. A storm for doing what Jesus commanded us to do, that does not make any sense. Why? Why will God allow a huge storm to threaten the life of disciples who are obeying Jesus? And I think we have the answer by looking at what is happening at the end of the storm. Here's what we find out. The storm is extremely essential to the spiritual growth of the disciple. Because without the storm, they will never grow to be who they should become. I want that to be encouragement to many of us today. Because I know, all of us, we experience different storms here and there. Many of us right now are going through seas of difficulties and storms of trouble. Some of you might lose your job and you're hit with a wave of worry. Some of you might be sick and be flooded with fear. Some of you might have personal conflict and it feels as if the boats that you're in right now are sinking. Or maybe some of you lost someone that you love and you are drawn in sorrow. You obey Jesus and yet you face a great storm and your boat is at right now, the point of breaking. The encouragement of this verse is this. Jesus is aware of the storm you face. You're not there by accident. No, you're not. He leads you into the storm so that he can shape you through the storm. Okay, Let's see what happened next. The response to the storm, verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? (laughs) I mean, I love this verse. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can learn from this verse. But one thing that really struck me when I first read this verse is the fact that Jesus is what? Sleeping. I mean, can you imagine the scene with me? While everyone on the boat was fighting for their life, (laughs) Jesus is sleeping at the back of the boat on his pillow. And the only time it is recorded in the four gospels that Jesus sleep is during a storm. Well, I'm pretty sure Jesus sleep every night, right? But why specifically mention that Jesus sleep during a storm? Here's why. Because it is the total opposite of what we will do. Do you know when we're not sleeping? Do you know when we are wide awake at 3 a.m. in the morning? During a storm. In fact, in fact, we don't even have to face actual storm to be sleepless. Just the possibility of a storm is enough to keep us awake at night. Am I right? Now, let me give you one example again. During my recent trip to Indonesia, um, I was sleepless a couple of times. Why? Because I was in close contact with different people who got COVID. Okay, there's one time a friend of mine picked me up and he took me out for brunch. Okay? And on the way to brunch he said, oh bro, I need to, uh, by the way, my girlfriend got COVID a couple of days ago. But I checked this morning and I'm fine. And I slowly put my mask on in the car. <laughs> okay, and then we spent about three hours without mask during brunch. And I thought, hmm, everything was fine. And then two days later, he messaged me in the morning. Bro, I am positive. And let me tell you, that night, I couldn't sleep. I was awake at 4 a.m. in the morning. I was like, <clears throat> why do I feel uncomfortable around my throat? Uh, do I have a sore throat? Why, why my body um, feels sore? You know when I hold my pillow? Is this, is this a body act? I felt like I had all the symptoms, even though there was absolutely nothing wrong with me. You guys know what I'm talking about? During a storm, it's times when we're not sleeping. But Jesus sleeps during a storm. And it's not as if, it's not as if Jesus is pretending to sleep to teach the disciple a lesson. Jesus is not faking it, you know, like keeping one eye open. Like, you know, if your parents, if you have a kid, when they pray, like, okay, let's pray, close your eyes, you know, they do like this, you know, they peeking through the holes. Jesus doesn't do that. The text tells us that Jesus is exhausted. He intended to sleep from the very beginning. How do we know? Because he has cushion with him. If I see you come to church with a nap pillow, I know that you have pre-decided to take a nap during my sermon. Jesus was exhausted. He was tired. It tells us, it shows us the humanity of Jesus. He gets hungry. He gets tired. He gets angry just like us. But on the other side, it's also shows us Jesus' complete trust in his Father. Jesus knows God's purpose will never fail. It doesn't matter what kind of storm in front of him, he will make it to the other side because God is not finished with him. He knows that God is in absolute control over every single detail of life and no harm will come to him without God's permission. That is why he can sleep without panicking. That is why he can sleep while everybody was frightened, scared for their life. And maybe, just maybe, Maybe the reason we can't sleep and wide awake at night is because we don't trust that God is in absolute control of our life. But look at the disciples respond to the storm total opposite of Jesus. The disciples are frightened, desperate, and frustrated. They try everything they can in their own strength to deal with the storm, but nothing works. And they are helpless before the great storm to the point that the boat is almost sinking. They don't know what else to do. Their teacher is sleeping and the boat is sinking. So they probably say to one another, "Mm, you wake him up. No, 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 you wake him up. No, 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 you wake him up. Finally, Peter says, fine, let's wake him up together. So they wake Jesus up together and listen to what they say. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you see what they're saying? Here's what they're saying. Jesus, can't you see what is happening all around us? I mean, Jesus, don't you have Instagram, Twitter? Don't you see the daily number of cases and death? Don't you see what happened with Ukraine and Russia? Don't you see the flood in New South Wales, in Brisbane? Don't you care about us? Why are you sleeping? If you love us, why would you let us go through this? If you love us, why would you let us experience the storm? they accuse Jesus of not caring about them. And before we say, dumb disciples, their response, I think, if we can be honest, is exactly our response when we face storm. When life does not go according to our expectation, when we are faced with storm, it is so easy for us to say, God, you don't care about me. God, you don't love me. We assume that if God cares about us, then he won't let it happen. Let me not talk about you. Let me talk about myself. I can see this happening again and again in my life. Every time I plan something, every time things do not work according to my expectation, my first natural response is to blame God. Okay, I remember exactly the night I found out that I had cancer. My response was, is this you're going to treat me, God? Where are you? After five years of studying the Bible and now cancer, are you serious? Do you know how to run the world? This is not fair. But if you have followed Jesus for some time, I think you will know what I mean. A moment where it feels like he is sleeping, a moment where it feels like he's silent, where it feels like he does not care. But here's something that we know as well. It is during storm we know whether our faith is genuine or not. Because storm actually reveals the quality of our faith. Storm tells us this, and we understand this. It is not good times that tell us whether we are genuine Christian or not. It is not when life goes according to our expectations that tell us whether we are Christian or not. It's the other way around. It is when nothing goes according to our expectation that proves whether our faith is real or not. Because Tom revealed the quality of our faith. So if life does not work according to our expectation, and we get angry at God, we get mad at God, and we point finger at God, God, where are you, God? And when we walk away from God, it just tells us something. We never love Him from the first place. We want His blessing, but we do not want Him. We can easily claim I have faith in Jesus when everything went well. My question is, what happened when storm hits you? So let's learn from the disciple. Their response might be wrong, but they do one thing right. You know what the one thing right that they do in the middle of the storm? They know where to get help. They know where to look. They wake Jesus up. Now, I don't know what kind of storm you're facing right now. I don't. But here's my question. Where do you look for help amid your storm? Because there is no one better to call on than Jesus. Call to Jesus amid your storm because he cares for you. And we will see what happens next. The king of the storm. Verse 39 to verse 41. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I mean, if there's any sin in the book of Mark that I can witness with my own eye, it's this sin. Because it's breathtaking. Imagine it. Great storm is upon the sea. The waves are crashing. The boat is sinking. The disciples are panicking. Then Jesus wakes up from his nap. He looks at the storm. He rebukes the wind. And he says to the sea, Peace. Be still. Now this is weird. I mean, do you realize how strange it sounds? Like a while back, you know, at Mike and Kim's wedding, uh, the holy matrimony was outdoor, right? And the weather forecast for that day was rain. But we prayed, and praise God, he answered our prayer by giving us perfect weather. But imagine with me, imagine it was raining that day. Okay, Mike and Kim will have been disappointed. But hey, they flew me all the way from Sydney to Bogor for this very reason, right? So I say to them, don't worry guys, I got this. So I walked to the holy matrimony place, under the rain, I look up the rain clouds and yell, enough of this! Stop! I need sun to come out right now! Mike and Kim will say, I think our pastor has lost his mind because of the seven days quarantine. By the way, I tried this before. It was raining so bad and I want to, to play soccer so badly, so I yell at the rain to stop, and the next thing I know, the rain stop and the lights come out. No, that is not what happened. Nothing happened. Okay, it was awkward, but I ain't Jesus. Jesus is different. The moment Jesus yelled out, "Peace, be still," and in Greek, the word, the phrase, "be still," is actually in perfect passive imperative. Okay, well, like what does that mean? It simply means this. What Jesus is saying is. Be quiet and remain quiet. This is like someone, a parent who's talked to their little kid. Shut up, remain shut up. Okay, maybe parents don't say shut up. Be quiet and remain quiet. <laughs> and the word rebuke here is actually the same word that Mark used when Jesus rebuked the evil spirit to shut them out. It does not mean that the storm is evil. But it does mean this just as Jesus has absolute authority over evil, Jesus has absolute authority over nature. But I want you to pay attention to what happened next. The moment Jesus speaks, the great storm stops. The wind ceases, and there is a great calm. Now, I like the word great there. This is not just calm a great calm. So one moment, the disciples are almost drowning because of great storm, and the next moment, a great calm. There's no wave whatsoever, there's no sound of the wind, and the sea is as smooth as glass. You can almost see your face on it. And this is fascinating because you and I know it usually takes a couple of hours from a seed to gradually come down from a great storm. But at the word of Jesus, great storm turned immediately into great calm. And Jesus is not calling on higher power. Uh, Jesus is not, you know, not, let me use my abracadabra. No, there's none of that. Because the power to steal a great storm does not come out of Jesus. It is in himself. He is the power. So that's why all he needs to do is speak. And when Jesus speaks, the wind and the wave respond immediately because they hear the voice of their king speaking to them. Jesus Christ is the king of the storm. And let me tell you why this is staggering. In Bible and also in all ancient culture, everybody agree, sea is a symbol of destruction. There's not a single person, there's not a single one who has power over sea, but one. Only one. And in the Old Testament, only the sovereign God of the universe has power to steal a great storm. And in this story, Jesus steals a great storm with his word. In the stilling of the storm, Jesus once again showed you and me and the disciples that He can do what only God can do. He displayed the same authority and power as the God of Israel. Now, do you see what's happening now? That means this. Don't miss the point. The stilling of the storm is not merely demonstration of Jesus' authority. It is refilling of Jesus' identity as the sovereign king of the universe. See, this story is an invitation for you and me to trust Him in the midst of our storm. I love the way David Gooding put it. He put it this way. The story of the stealing of the storm is not, of course, meant to tell us that Christ will never allow any believer to perish by drowning or by any other natural disaster. Many believers have so perished. It does demonstrate that He is Lord of the physical forces in the universe. That for Him, nothing happens by accident. And that no force in all creation can destroy His plan for our eternal salvation or separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear what he's saying? He simply says this, If Jesus is the king of the storm, Jesus also the king of flood, earthquake, fire, heat, fires, and every forces in the universe. And the promise is this, that if we trust Jesus, we know He is with us in this harm. The promise is not that if we trust Jesus, we will never suffer harm. The promise is if we trust Jesus, He will be with us in this harm. And the promise is no force of nature can separate us from the love of God. Because Jesus is is the king of all physical forces in the universe. And look at what happened next. After Jesus stilled the storm, he said to the disciple, oh, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And look at what happened next. And this is the key to understand the story. Okay, If you want to know what is the story all about, it's in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wave and sin and the wind and the sea obey him? So when the disciples witnessed what happened, you know what they did? They're not celebrating with one another. There's no high five, there's no hugs, there's no chest bump, nothing. They do not come to Jesus and Jesus, well done, mate. You know what happened to them? They're filled with great fear. Why? Because they have never seen anything like it. I mean, they have seen a lot of wonderful things. They've seen Jesus heal the man in the synagogue. They've seen Jesus cast out demons. They've seen Jesus heal the paralytic. They've seen Jesus cleanse the leper. They've seen Jesus heal the man with a withered hand. But they have never seen a person rebuke a storm and the storm submit to him. And now, the disciples have to make a choice they must make up their mind on the identity of Jesus. Who is this guy? Who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? And they were filled with great fear because they finally realized that the person on the boat with them is not ordinary, ordinary man. And they are more terrified of Jesus than they were of the great storm. Do you know why? Because they understand now, they are in the presence of the king of the storm. See, it is one thing to fear the storm. It is another to be in the presence of the king of the storm. And the presence of the king of the storm is far more terrifying than the most destructive storm. And the story ends. The story does not end with a calm sea, but with the disciple amazement of Jesus. Don't miss this, okay? This is the key. This is the lesson of the storm. Because if we don't get this, then we think this story is about, you know what, if we trust Jesus, then Jesus will get rid of our storm. If we, don't, if we miss this, we think that this story is about eliminating storm in our life, but that's not the point. Because Mark doesn't end the story with a calm sea. Mark ends the story with the disciples finally realize Oh my gosh, the man who is with us is far greater, far mightier than the greatest storm. The stealing of the storm is for the purpose of the disciple. Because Jesus wanted the disciple to finally realize this is who I am. This is me. And I am with you and I am stronger and I'm greater than anything you can ever face in this life. And when you fear Jesus... It will reduce, it will remove all other fears. And this is the lesson for us. When we fear Jesus above all, we do not have to fear anything else. The storm we face in life is never about the storm. It's always about the one who is with us in the storm. This story tells us, the way that we deal with our storm it's not God, please get rid of the storm as soon as possible. It's not about that. It's always about knowing and understanding that you have the king of the storm in the boat with you. And if we have Jesus in the boat, the question is, why are you afraid? Because he is with us, he is in control. So that means for Christian, the purpose of the storm is simply that that you might see Jesus in a new light. That your eyes might be awakened to His glory, to His greatness, that you be amazed by Him. So that at the end of the storm, you will say like the disciple, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him? That is the lesson of the storm. But it's the question for us. How can we be sure that Jesus is with us in the storm? Here's how. This story ends with the disciple questioning the identity of Jesus. They're still not sure. I mean, who is this man? But today, you and I, we have something better. You know what we have? We have the finished scripture. Okay, and today, okay, we can look at the scripture as a whole and know exactly who is this man. And it's very hard for us to miss the comparison. Almost every commentaries commentaries I read make this uh, comparison. This story of the stealing of the storm is very similar to another story in the Old Testament. You know what story it is? Jonah. Think about it. Jesus himself called himself what? I am the greater Jonah. Think about the comparison. First... Both Jesus and Jonah are out on the sea in a boat. Second, both Jesus and Jonah's boat are foretaken by great storm. Third, both Jesus and Jonah are asleep in the storm. Fourth, people in the boat are terrified and say, Wake up, we are perishing. Fifth, in both cases, there's miraculous intervention by God that calm the sea. And six, in both stories, the people in the boat are more terrified after the storm than they were during the storm. Now, this is the similarities here. However, there's one little difference between these two stories. In the story of Jonah, Jonah said to the sailor, Throw me to the sea because the only way for you to survive is for me to perish. If I die, you live. And they throw Jonah into the sea, and the storm immediately ceases. But in the story of Jesus, not so. Jesus simply speaks to the storm, and the storm immediately ceases. Jesus lives. What happened? Here's what happened the story is not finished. Because then we read that Jesus will be ultimately thrown into another storm. And this storm is far greater than the storm that faced in the sea. Because right now, Jesus will be thrown into the storm of God's wrath against sin. And Jesus will be thrown into this storm. Jesus will face this storm. So what? So that when he finally enjoyed God's wrath towards sin, by his death, he calmed all storms. He will defeat that. He will defeat destruction. And one day, he promised, there will be no more storm. Now, do you see what happened here? See, at the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus was thrown into the ultimate storm. Why? For our sake. Because you and I are the ones who are supposed to endure that wrath of God. But Jesus was thrown into the ultimate wrath of God so that when we put our faith in Jesus, there's a promise that Jesus is with us in our storm of life. And we need to get this because to the degree we know that Jesus is thrown into the ultimate storm for us. To that degree, we can trust him in a small storm. See, what you and I need today is not deliverance from storm. What you and I need today is the presence of the king of the storm. See, the gospel, my friend, the gospel is not that if you trust Jesus, he will deliver you from all storms. The gospel, if you trust Jesus, he is on the boat with you. And Jesus Christ is the king of the storm. And he promised this. Not a single hair fall out of your head without his permission. And your story, my story, is already written in his book of life before the foundation of the world. So now when we realize who Jesus is, when we realize what he has done for us, and when we realize that he is on the boat with us, that is our courage to face whatever storm ahead of us. We don't fear anything else. Because here's the logic of the gospel. If Jesus Christ did not abandon us in the ultimate storm of God's red, surely, surely he will not abandon you in your small storm. There's no way. That is the gospel, my friend. And the promise is he will bring us safely to his home. I do not know how long the storm will last. I do not know what the future holds for us. But I do know the king who holds the future. Jesus Christ is the king of the storm. And you can trust him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I have no idea what kind of storm that your people are facing right now. I have no idea what kind of suffering, what kind of pain that your people are experiencing in their life right now. But one thing I do know that life is filled with storms. Life is filled with struggles, suffering, pain. And our comfort in life is not knowing that this storm will be over soon but our comfort in life is knowing that Jesus when we have you we have the king of the storm with us and that's what matters so church here's, here's the thing I don't know what kind of storm you're facing right now but I do know that there's many of us in this place that you are in the midst of the storm right now. And maybe some people know about it. Maybe it's something very personal that like you don't talk to people about it. It keeps you awake at night. It keeps you crying again and again. But my friend, Jesus knows and he cares. So right now, I just want to invite you. If, if, that, if you are in the middle of a storm right now, why don't you just be honest with God and just raise your hand right now really high and say, Lord, I am in the middle of the storm and I need to know your presence. Just raise your hand really high. It's between you and God. If you're experiencing that, just lift up your hand and just trust. Say, Lord, here's where I am. You can put your hands down now. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have their hands raised. I ask that in the midst of this storm that you reveal who you are to them. Open their eyes to see what that what they need is to aware, to be aware of you. And I pray that through this storm, their eyes will be open to receive, to know, to understand and realize how great, how amazing, how powerful, how great you are. And that's their confidence in life. Jesus Christ is with them in their, their storm. So help us, Lord. For us as a church, we know that 2022 will have many storms. But because we have you, because we have the king of the storm with us, we will not be afraid. But we will face 2022 with confidence knowing that you will bring us safely back to your arm. You will not fail. And to this we pray. Amen.